this week on the Adaptation Game. He may not look like much, but I think podcasts can save the world. Ladies and gentlemen, to the Adaptation Game, the show where a couple of jokers with no real expertise or experience in any and all fields, and so if you are a potential employer looking to hire them, I would advise against it, decide to adapt various media properties into other forms. I am your, as always, host, Mr. Matthew Schott. And with me, as always, is my intrepid co-host, Mr. Chris Okawa. Mm-hmm. That's him. That's his voice. He's not bound nor gagged. And <laughs> this, this week, we have a very special guest joining us, somebody who has been mentioned heretofore many times on the show, but is making her first in-canon uh, appearance. We have the lovely Miss Kierna Connor. Kierna, introduce yourself. Hello, I'm so honored to be here. What else should I say? Uh, that's that's good. That's a good sound bite. Uh, My favorite we can color use is that. blue. <laughs> um, I'm a Scorpio, but I guess that's different now. So I don't really know what I am. And uh, I, think, I think the astrological chart shifts to be whatever the the one is before you. So I was I a Virgo in the, the original chart. So I'm I think I'm a Leo now. Oh well, that sucks. I don't know what's before me either. So I could, I don't really care too much about it. I'll we'll just call you a Pisces. You're okay. a Pisces now. I'm a Pisces. And Congrats. fun fact about me, I touched a whale once when I was 14. You're the first guest to bring on favorite colors and first and and fun facts. So wow. this is a this is a first for the show. <laughs> cool. Uh Kierna is, of course, the uh long mentioned uh wife of Chris Okawa, who is, as mm-hmm. stated in canon several times, she is my friend first, Thank Chris's you. wife second. Those that's right. sort of the order of priorities. And then there. lastly, you guys became friends thirdly. Yes, <laughs> thirdly. <laughs> In the extended so in universe, and the in the hierarchy of our relationships, it's number one uh, is Kierna and I's friendship. Number right. two is Kierna's marriage to Chris, right. and then in a distant third is <laughs> my friendship with Chris. Increasingly distant as this sentence goes on. Um, <laughs> Uh, so this week on the Adaptation Game, we have a uh, viewer requested, and by viewer, I mean, uh, I think this was Chris's idea, um, <laughs> <laughs> a, a highly requested topic. We are doing our second in our uh, hit sub-series, The Redemption Game, and this week we are tackling one of the most notorious flops of the past decade, right at the beginning of this past decade, in fact, 2010's The Last Airbender, directed by Mm -hmm. Mr. M. Night Shyamalan, and based on the television series Avatar, The Last Airbender, it of course had to change its name because the previous year, a little movie called Avatar came out and made all of the money in the world. There was no money for the rest of the year, unfortunately, because everybody (laughs) had given their money to Avatar. 
Um, and uh, uh, I, I remember hearing about uh, The Last Airbender coming out. And uh, when I heard that they were dropping the Avatar, I wasn't surprised. But uh, before we get into histories, uh, just real quick round table. Um, what did everybody think of the movie Avatar? Uh, not The Last Airbender, just just the 2009 <laughs> but the, but the blue Avatar. Picture. Yes, the blue, the blue oh, picture. Kierney can go first as the okay. guest. I'm delicate about this movie because it has like significance to me aside from the movie itself. Have, um, have you been to Navi? Have you been to uh, Pandora? Is I have one? been to Pandora. It was a great vacation and I really connected with the locals. So I don't want anyone else to roast their, it. Their bracelets are gorgeous. Yeah, they have good jewelry. Um, no, I I really, really loved it. Um, I saw it multiple times in theaters. Um, it was really important to my parents also because... At the time that we saw it, my parents were like working through some like marital shit. And like it happened to be that this like phrase that they were sharing, this phrase of um, they were saying to each other, like, I see you as this like phrase to talk to, like to like um, sort of like elucidate this idea of like um, really understanding where the person was coming from or like who they truly were as opposed to like some sort of um, fictional version that they were crafting for each other. And so the fact that the, the movie came out with the ICU thing was like really important to them. Um, oh, so which that is, came before the movie. Yeah, for my oh, parents. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought that they they borrowed it from No, the, it was the this picture. like synergy. No, not at all. It was like oh. this like synergy where they had already been using that phrase and then the movie came out with it and they were like, wow, it was like one of those like things where like shit just like lined up. So it was like really special for them. But even aside from that and the, that significance for me, because um, it reminds me of my parents, I love it. I think it's so good. I recognize that the story is uh, a, a well-used, uh, used and abused story. Um, I get that. At the time, I didn't. At the time, I was like, wow, this is genius. Um, but I get it now. And I still think it's great. I think the effects are beautiful. I think it's a really well-told story, even if it's a story that's been told before. I think that the acting is really well done. I think that it's like a beautiful soundtrack. I, I just think it's beautiful. I love it. And I'll stand by it forever. Wow, Kiernan, that was really lovely. And it makes Thank me you. feel really guilty now for how much I want <laughs> no, to shit all over that movie. I know you're going um, to. But I'm not going like, to. No, I'm going, <laughs> I'm going to hold back because this podcast episode is actually not even about the movie Avatar. <laughs> so we don't need to spend too much time on it. Um, and I think that's actually really beautiful that you have such a strong connection to that movie. And it speaks to the power that fiction can have in our lives. Uh, that being said, I think that movie fucking sucks. Um, so <laughs> moving on to uh, <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan's uh, Wait, Chris, The Last what do you Airbender. Think of Avatar? You just couldn't let it go. I'm I'm comfortable moving on. To... You, don't, you don't like it either? <laughs> I, I think it's a good movie. And I really loved uh, Flights of Passage. And I think it was the best... <laughs> <laughs> at uh, at Disney World, I think it was the best 3D movie I've ever seen in commercial theaters, and I I I liked it. I had a great time with Avatar. I I I had lower, I had no expectations for it. It was sort of like a family friend was like, "Well, we should go see this thing. It's been running for like four or five months." That was really powerful for me to see in theaters. Was like, "Oh, yeah, like this is forever. the thing that's running for like six months." 
Um, and I don't think it would have gotten that runtime. A, I mean, the box office was really good, but also Cameron had set a precedent with Titanic that it's like when Cameron makes a good Cameron picture, it's going to run five, six months, regardless of what it is, as long as people like it. And so, yeah, I think I think Matt's entitled to his opinion. And, and I think that I'm Thank sure he, he would make some very convincing and and persuasive points as he always does. Yeah, but. Matt always backs up his opinions. He's <clears throat> yeah. not one of those people who like, you're, I don't know why we're talking about you as though you're not there. <laughs> it's a shame he died. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame he got killed by all those uh, Avatar truthers. <laughs> I was uh, purged when they uh, when the soldiers came and burned down the life tree or whatever. Oh, yeah. Um, that was sad. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, we'll do. Uh, maybe we should do an episode about uh, Avatar at some point uh, because I think it's a movie with an interesting history and we just can't uh, had like a weird, it. weirdly large <laughs> and mind. small cultural footprint at the same time, which yeah. was, a, I think, a fascinating uh, thing. But uh, uh, I don't want to. I don't, I don't want to get into my thoughts on the movie. I'll just leave it at I don't like it. So um, uh, we're here to talk about M Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. Uh, I think that that's a movie that we can all agree is a 3D spectacular. Um, mm. So to give a, just a brief uh, little history on the movie. Um, so the TV show ran from 2005 to 2008 and was was a surprise, like big smash hit for Nickelodeon. It became this like a uh, whole phenomena where there was, you know, a whole merchandising line tied to it. There was a bunch of video games and, and toys and and uh, a lot of older kids were watching it. I remember I first heard about it from from kids I went to high school with um, mm-hmm. talking about it like when we were all in high school. And I was like, something cool on Nickelodeon. Um, <laughs> but uh, but, you know, the, the showrunners took a lot of inspiration from like shonen anime and basically just made their own like Western anime, um, which was really cool and, and, and I think very effective. And uh the apocryphal story goes that M. Night Shyamalan saw his daughter watching it and she was like, I like this show. And he was like, oh, interesting. OK. And he pitched to Nickelodeon doing uh, a sort of Lord of the Rings for them where he was going to film all three movies back to back. Uh, and Nickelodeon was wisely very, very skeptical of that <laughs> idea. So instead, what they did was they were like, we'll give you one. And if it works, we'll give you the other two. So uh, he went to work on making his uh, last airbender film where there was just baffling production decision made one after the other, yep. including changing the pronunciation of a lot of characters names like uh, the protagonist Ang was changed to Ong. Uh, his good pal uh, Sokka was changed to Soka. Uh, just all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, the basic rules of the universe were changed as well, like firebenders needing a source of fire in order to bend fire, which is just like a very strange uh, change to make. I don't really know what that does. Uh, and they also got an unknown actor to play Ang or Ong. Uh, who he he got the part because he sent a video of him doing Tai Chi uh, and it was impressive uh, his like physicality but he yeah. just could, couldn't act which That's I would about say where is it ends. Ar- yeah. argu- <laughs> arguably more important and Katara was uh, notoriously uh, the daughter of one of the executive producers who had never oh, acted before no way. uh, which explains a lot about her performance 
the the uh, all the water tribe people were famously whitewashed. Uh, there's a whole lot of strange racial casting in that movie that I won't go too far into, but basically it's all weird. All of these sort of Chinese, uh, you know, Eskimo influence, all that stuff is basically removed entirely from the source material uh, so that they could cast predominantly white or uh, for some reason, like East Asian as well. Like there's a lot of like Indian actors in the movie. It's just a very strangely casted film. So the movie came out. It was also post converted uh, after it was all filmed to be in 3D because Nickelodeon wanted to release it in 3D. So all the effects for 3D were uh, done in post and looked terrible. <laughs> movie bombed very badly. And despite teasing a sequel at the end of the movie, uh, it never thankfully received one however and it should be it should be noted that the project of a live action avatar was not done because it was just recently revived by netflix who bought the rights to to uh, stream the series and produce a live action series and the showrunners for the original series were initially tied to that show however they have since dropped over quote creative differences which makes me feel like live action adaptations of of that series might be cursed uh so let's talk personal history with the series uh chris and kirna let's let's start with our guest we'll start with kirna kirna when did you first watch avatar how did you hear about it what were your reactions to both the animated series and the film okay so i don't actually remember I know that like by the time I saw the animated series the first time, it had been out for a few years. And I remember my initial introductions to it were like an episode here and there, like catching because we didn't we didn't have cable growing up. This is like a big piece of exposition that you need. So I did mm. not have cable. We only had PBS kids. So like whenever I went to friends' houses, my brother and I were like starving for cable. Their like, avatar. Can we, watch, can we watch cable? Can we watch your TV? Their like, that's avatar like all we wanted to do. Was Caillou. So like yeah. they were like, oh fuck, Caillou fucking it up on cable. <laughs> yeah. Deep so, rich lore on Caillou. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um my initial exposure was like just random sporadic episodes at friends' houses, but I didn't like watch the series straight through. Until I'm trying to remember, I think I I have memory issues, but I think that the first time I watched it from like beginning to end was I think my childhood longtime best friend Deanna was the first one who was like, hey, there's this incredible series. You would like it. We should watch it. And I think that was when I was in like middle of high school, maybe like early high school. So it had been out for. Well, actually, wait, let's see. If it came out 2010? Yeah. The, fi the film did. The, oh, uh, the film last did. Oh, 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 show. right. I was like, wait, that seems like no, really late. No, the show's late. like 2006, Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that makes sense then. Yeah. So I'll stand by that. That seems right. So I would say like early high school is when I first was introduced to it. And I would agree with you, Matt, that the, the people that I, like my friends in high school also loved it. Like I remember it being extremely popular among a wide range of ages. And I think that's even true now. Like adults that I know, including obviously Chris and myself, love the animated series. You can rewatch it now. And there are so many themes in it that are big grown-up ideas that are being packaged in ways that kids can, can grapple with. And I think that's why it's so popular. So yeah, my first introduction, like my first like real introduction was in high school. I loved it. And I was also kind of interested in like other anime. And obviously this isn't officially an anime, but it definitely feels like it counts. one. It counts. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it definitely like fell into a genre that I was growing an interest in anyway. But then by the time the movie, the live action came out, I was invested enough in the series that I was like really gung-ho and really excited about the movie, which made it all the more devastating. And I, at the time, also really loved M. Night Shyamalan because I, at the time, it was kind of like just post his heyday, right? Like he had just released, I mean, I guess that's kind of a, that that might be controversial because I think some of his like middle, middle of his arc of really good into really bad movies, I think some of them are still pretty good. Like I like The Village and not a lot of people like The Village. I think The Village is great. But like, I feel like it was still when M. Night Shyamalan was like a name that you could trust to make a good or interesting or surprising movie. That's like how I interpreted like, ooh, M. Night Shyamalan, like he's going to do something interesting. Because at that time... Just for the audience's (laughs) sake, I want to point out that the movie he had made previous to The Last Airbender was The Happening. That was his last movie before The Last Airbender. And also, as a side note, I have never even seen The Happening. I haven't even seen it. Do you know what it's about, though? It's like people committing suicide because of some virus. Because the plants. Because oh. the the plants it's about pollen and spoiler yeah. alert. Spoiler. I mean, alert. I knew I had heard from so many people it was terrible. I just didn't even watch it. And so. Mark Wahlberg is in it. Oh, okay. It's like it's a, basically it's Transformers watch. with plants. Oh, I it's mean, a, it's a blast. It's I'm not very, against very watching it, but yeah, I I think still somehow in my mind I was like maybe it'll be cool. Like I'm not Shyamalan. Whatever. I was excited. I loved the series, so I did see the movie in theaters, which is actually the last time I saw it was that one time in theaters. And then Chris and I just actually started watching. We just started watching <laughs> it's it prior literally, to this episode. It's paused in the other room. I can see it. It has that stupid kid's face and it says He's air, like, water, earth, and fire in the captions. And his his luscious lips are forming the words. It's actually like a perfect there, We were watching screen, a scene. Screen grab. Yeah, there's a scene where he encounters the bones of all his comrades. And rather than cry or react honestly, this big glob of drool comes down his yes. mouth. Like Chris, pause and rewind it. Because like they were Ted like, Cruz why style? would you keep that And then tape? he uses his teeth to bite it back into his mouth again, Ted Cruz style. He's not crying, though. <laughs> no, it's not like, like he's crying and so upset that he's drooling. It's just drool, like the way a kid mismanages the amount of spit in their mouth and some of it gets out. Kids do that a lot, right? That's like what happened. And the... then he like sucks it back in and they keep that take like and a, that's the take they choose. It's like a scene from incredible mr limpid it's so moist and it's so fish lipped it's fucking (laughs) terrible (laughs) um side note yeah so that that was when i saw the movie i haven't seen it since other than right now um it's still as bad as it was before (laughs) (laughs) this has aged wonderfully and then i can still hate it um and even when i saw it in theaters i was like angry from the beginning i just like knew it was wrong all of it's wrong so um, I hated it. I just hated it. I hated everything about it. Everything you said at the beginning, Matt, I totally agree with. And I have a lot of opinions about like what more was wrong. And I'm sure we'll get those. We'll get into those. Um, but yeah, that's my relationship with it. What about you, Chris? Uh, how did you discover the series and what was your reaction to the film? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, in my younger circle, so like late high school, a bunch of my friends, a lot of them were conservative loved avatar and i think i wrote it off for that reason like none of them were anime fans and i was a burgeoning anime fan and they were like oh yes it's so good and i'm like what else do you watch do you watch toonami at all do you watch like dragon ball do you like like i was beginning to become a purist um 
And uh, so I was, I was like, these guys are a bunch of phonies. This is like a wild Thornberry's adventure, and they're a bunch of dumb idiots. <laughs> and so then, you know, I was frozen. I was frozen in a ball of ice for a hundred years. Mm-hmm. Wow. And after a hundred years pass, I was working in a movie theater, and the movie comes out just a couple years after the initial stated incident, and uh, I did not see it because I worked the premiere at our movie theater. And uh, so it wasn't the premiere with the stars. Thank God that would have been so awkward, but it was the night (laughs) it came out, came available to the public and I managed the line and there were the fans. And again, I was like, God, these fucking weebs don't know shit. Yeah, they were. And they had the shirts and they were like chanting and they had, Painted oh. on symbols on them from bending? the different. Yeah, they were bending. <laughs> uh, their their belts were bending. They were <laughs> some of them were very large, and oh. uh, and uh, they uh, went into the movie. And I went to sweep the movie, and they come out. And the things that I heard from those people's mouths after that movie were more toxic than I think any of the Star Wars, than like any of the Shreks. Like these were fans that were disenchanted, and I was like, oh. I never want to experience this cinematic experience that these people are referring to. So then I even sort of put away the whole series mentally. And then uh, Kieran and I got married and a couple years in uh, we were, or no, May first year we were living with um, my in-laws before we moved to New York. Not even and first year, like first like two months of us being married. Yeah. First two months of being yeah. married. We're like, let's watch all of Avatar. And they all loved it. And they are actual like, appreciators of of fine animation and fine cinema they're ghibli fans etc and so i was like all right if if like they give it the sign off it's got to have some legs and so we watched it end to end and i really enjoyed it i think it's a i think it's a great epic story i think it's broad in its scope i do think it tells kids good stories is it in my opinion like ranked with different animes like it's better than inuyasha but i i, I just don't think it should be held in the esteem of anime per se, I think it's a, a, think a beautiful, it's yeah, it's like, it's something different and it, belo- and it desire, it desires to be that. And it belongs being that it's a wonderful synthesis of culture. Yeah. And I think that that was valuable to the Nickelodeon audience at the time. That's so, a good way of putting it. so that's my, my history with, with uh, Avatar. So I think, uh, and we don't have to spend much time on just the is Avatar uh, anime question because I think that's a that's a whole kettle of fish. I think um, <laughs> the sort of uh, you know it, because it comes down to this question of like, well, what is anime? Does anime have to come from Japan? And then like, yeah. okay, well, what about all the from ones the that anime come from like province of Japan? Yeah, what about like you know Korean anime? You know, yeah. Like, does that and this not was count? made in Korea. Um, it was animated largely in Korea. The, the original. well, that's I mean, but by that same logic, then The Simpsons is an anime. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and Adventure Time. But I think that the the just the the structure and the influence is so strong that I'm just like you know what it's anime like what it, that's what it's trying to be like whatever that's fine it's it's you know it doesn't have to be in Shonen Jump to be Shonen anime yeah um either way my personal history as I sort of briefly touched on um I uh, heard about the series in high school like friends that I had were watching it and I was like oh this seems like cool but like I just never sat down with it until the show had already finished and I was in uh college and I sat down and I watched through the whole series and I absolutely loved it 
Um, I consistently point to Zuko in particular, who is my favorite character. Um, I point to him often as just like, well, that's like just a good arc. Like, that's just how you yeah. do it. You know, it's just like he starts as this bad guy. He becomes a good guy and you feel great about it. Uh, <laughs> and and watching this, the this the sequel trilogy of this of Star Wars films, I was so frustrated because I was like, you already got Zuko. You have the template. Just do that. Like, yeah. they already wrote it for you. Um, and they, I guess they kind of tried to, but not, uh, terribly successfully. So, uh, although no shame on Kylo Ren, we're all Kylo Ren heads here. Um, we're all, this is a pro Kylo Ren podcast. (laughs) So, um, so I, I, I love the show. Uh, I enjoyed it so thoroughly. I also enjoyed Korra a lot when that came out. Um, I saw the movie at midnight. Uh, I went with a bunch of friends of mine and- we all knew what we were going in for. I think that's a big difference is oh. I was not angry when I saw the movie. It was exactly what I thought it was going to be because, I mean, two years previously, we had all, me and this same group of friends had all gone to see The Happening and had an amazing time at that theater just laughing our heads off. So <laughs> Laughing our heads off. When we got <laughs> the- jaded children you were. <laughs> uh, I was 18 when that movie came out. I was a <laughs> legal adult uh, and I was uh, 20 when- when the last airbender came out. So, um, the, uh, the, the last airbender comes out and like, we all knew, I mean, the early reviews also were like abysmal. So when we saw the early reviews, we only got more excited. We were like, Oh yeah. Like we knew this was going to be bad, but this is looking like it's going to be really bad. So we went to the theater at midnight and we just were cackling the entire time. I mean, the movie is so bad. It's hysterical. There's so many things about it that are just like so horribly wrong. I mean, he he took like you know twenty hours of television and like crammed it into you know a ninety minute runtime. Just so everything is so poor. It's just the entire movie is basically just a big voiceover exposition dump. There's so much. There's so much Katara voiceover of her just being like. And then we decided to do this. And oh, something else you should know about the world that's very important is this. Uh, there's a great sequence where the earthbenders are trapped by the firebenders because they forgot that they can earthbend. Like they're trapped in like a rock quarry. And uh, it's like your power yeah, just, is to manipulate rocks. I think we just, we just watched, watched that, that scene where he's like, there's earth beneath your feet. But it's like you're connected to <laughs> earth. It's like why anyone should even care who he is. They forgot to establish that because he just walks in 12 and is like, you forgot who you are. And it's like, no one knows who he is. He's established no authority at all. <laughs> like, it's also, it's adapting an episode of the show where the earthbenders are all prisoners on a metal ship where they literally can't bend because they're like out at sea and they're on like a metal a ship. Which is a crucial part. Yeah, it's a big part of that it's story. So adapting you it, might even say, yeah. "My dear Watson." <laughs> nice, good one. Adapting that to be that they're just in a rock quarry is like, uh, hang on a minute. Uh, it's a terrible film, but it's very, it's very, very funny. Um, and it has one of the guys from Twilight in it. It has one of the vampires from Twilight. Is uh, uh, Soka? Uh, <gasps> I knew I recognized him because I was just watching Twilight again since, oh my since God. high school. Our poor television. I knew I recognized him, and that's how. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, he's uh, right. he's one of the like hunky vampire boys that's uh, uh like Edward's cousin or whatever. Yeah, he has blonde curly um, hair in the in Twilight. Yeah. 
So uh, it's it's the movie's a train wreck, uh, and they did not get their sequels, thank God. And I have a feeling <laughs> we're going to see a repeat performance with this Netflix series. Oh, uh, no. If it even goes through, um, I think it's going to be a, a train wreck. Um, so with our with our personal histories out of the way, I think it's time to move in uh, to the pitch zone, move out of this uh, uh, blank void that is the adaptation lounge, and into the pitch zone where we can begin our pitches on how we would transport back to the year 2010, <laughs> rebuild the last airbender from the ground up, and see if we can get it right this time. So with that, I think it's time for our patented, amazing Pitch Zone theme song coming at you now. It's a hit. It's topping the Billboard charts all over. People can't stop singing it. Here it is, the Pitch Zone theme. It's Pitch Time. It's Pitch Time. Everybody get your pitches. It's time to Pitch Time. Welcome to the Pitch Zone, <laughs> the zone where the pitches are pitched and the zones are zoned. And here we have the Pitch Zone. It's coming at you. It's live. It's now. And how? So, first up on the pitcher's mound, I believe we are going to have Mr. Chris Sokawa, our usual first pitcher up to bat. It's a mixed metaphor. Just go with it. Chris, <laughs> step up to the pitcher's mound. Batter up. Time for the pitch to be punched. Um, oh. So, uh, yeah, so I think I, I couldn't, I agree. The 20 hours into uh, 90 minutes was a real crime. I wanted to be a little bit more choosy with what I included in uh, my film. And I did have to acknowledge that it would have to be a trilogy at least. Um, and and with a little bit more budget than the than the film originally had. Um, because the... the uh, the uh, I will give the film its credit for the elemental effects look really great. Like the 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 fire bending and the water bending that that looked fun. That looked great. I didn't see it on the big screen. I didn't see it in 3D, and I, I wouldn't care to. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> but I would like some of the sauce that they're stirring, and hope that we could use some of those just the general templates that they <laughs> just call Nickelodeon. And be like, can we just reuse some of these things? We're just fixing it. We're just gonna come in here fix it. Yeah, it would have to be a trilogy, and so I'll give you upfront the names of my Avatar movies. They have to fucking say avatar say the name say the name in your movie don't call it the last airbender you're already making an unrecognizable shit pile i mean call i think I, I think the logic behind that is is somewhat sound given that it was literally the year after avatar um so i, could, I guess I there's probably people gonna would, be some confusion yeah people could tend to, yeah they'd probably buy tickets and then show up and be a like grandma's like the i hell? thought this was about blue people <laughs> yeah where's the blue sex i was promised <laughs> Um, so, uh, my three films are Avatar, The Last Airbender, proudly emblazoned, Avatar, The Order of the White Lotus, and Avatar, The Rise of the Fire Nation. Now, these are following, you're probably recognizing some similar syntax to the original four, five, and six Star Wars trilogy. I want to do what they did to culture with the Avatar with other more successful franchises with my Avatar pitch. So we're already leaning hard into a Star Wars structure, sort of the reverse of what you called for with the the Force Awakens trilogy, uh, with them hearkening back to the Zuko arc. I want Zuko and his gang to hearken back to the original Star Wars and how we pace this. So... In the original mm. picture, uh, I saw the first 30 minutes, just like I said. 
uh, we mentioned earlier. Um, I do like that they don't waste too much time on the Water Tribe. Um, I think that I do want there to be like ethnically considerate or at least um, a filial casting to the original source material. So I would want sort of Inuit um, based uh, cast. Um, I would want that for um, Soka and for um, Katara. Sokka. Um, and I, yeah, yeah Sokka, sorry. Sokka. I'm, I've been all twisted around. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I would want to establish some of the wonderful traditions and what they are fighting for, which is something that's missing from this movie. Is it's like, we don't really know what they're defending or what the heritage is that he keeps alluding to. And, and the water bending, like becoming the water bender for your tribe to protect them is such a central motivation for Katara. And we just <laughs> threw them the fucking garbage in this movie. So we're definitely going to fix that. Um, and, uh, with me too, I want to take a moment to step out of the, the pitch and, and note, um, a, a similar problem, a similar other, another discontinued prematurely, uh, series, which really bummed me out was, uh, was, uh, a series of unfortunate events, uh, starring Jim Carrey. Oh, and I yes. think that so I wanted to learn from them and also learn from this uh, shit pile, uh, bad avatar, M. Night Shyamalan, you only had two good movies in you. Um, <laughs> I wanted to learn that give people something to remember, give some them something to hold on to. Do not promise them like, oh, if you if you vote for me, maybe you'll get a little stimulus. Don't do that. Give them the fucking stimulus in the first movie. So I want to emphasize the experiences that we celebrate and we love of book one and Avatar. I want them to totally just have so much time, so much camera time for Appa and Momo, so much sensation of flight and, and the childlike wonder that surrounds these kids that kind of as they go discover that they have superpowers and ultimately the most powerful superpower is friendship. Mm. Um, and I want to celebrate that spirit. And we lost that immediately off the bat with the terrible Shyamalan picture. So I want to put that uh, emphasis yeah. in this one. Uh, the ice encounter where they get the avatar. I want that to be very grandiose and wonderful and emotional and taking our time with that. Um, and uh, not until I think they, they shot their water early with this, uh, this Shyamalan picture and that they give you the theme, like to try and establish majesty, the establishing shot in the ice where it's like, wah, 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 wah. you know, it's an iconic opening. It, they should not give that to you. I don't think until we free Aang from the ice and it's this huge thing. And then Ramin Jadwali, um, the composer from Game of Thrones is coming in and he's expanding this already majestic, already larger than life uh, orchestral score for me. We're stereo panning it. It's surround sound. It's 5.1. It will arrest you. And we don't hear it until we actually meet our main character. Um, so then Zuko descends on the village. That's important. We'll keep that. Um, then Aang goes in there. Uh, Aang escapes. Uh, and then this sort of becomes a greatest hits, how I feel for like moments that, again, were memorable to me, that rewarded me for watching the show. And there are, of course, like with any long serial standing story, there are filler episodes. I wanted to trim those very judiciously. So uh, an episode that I really loved in an arc I really loved was Boomy in Omashu. It's there. It's not the same case for Kirina, um, which is cool. All the all the pitches are different. Um, and I really love Omashu. I like Boomy. 
how he appears to be a I villain. I literally cannot even remember who Boomy is. Uh, Boomy is he was like the emperor of, of yeah, Bazinga, right? Yeah, and he's Aang's, he's like the crazy old guy. Yeah, and he's yeah. Ang's childhood friend. Oh, and Aang oh, was, I do remember who he is. I just couldn't remember his name. Ang was he, frozen okay. in ice. I see ice. why you care about him now. Ang was frozen cool. in ice, and he's Boomy scary. sort of was forced to march on, and time was not kind to him. Aang, and so, Aang uh, also uh, just uh, for a lore note, I believe named uh, he, he he one of his kids after Boomy. Uh, in in Korra, one of Aang's children oh, is named Boomy. Wait, doesn't this whole part happen in season two though? No, it's season one. It's a very early on thing. Boomy, the crazy guy, the crazy yeah, and earthbender, they, and they ride down the side, and you get my cabbage. Like, no, they, my they get to Bossing Say in season. That's season two. Is when they yeah, go Bossing Say. It's it? season two. I don't really care. Um, so I want, <laughs> okay. we were going straight to Amashu. There, you were riding down the side. We're seeing my cabbages established early. Um, and uh, th- we're moving quickly now. We're moving at a quick clip. Um, I even uh, budgeted out time uh, for this minutes wise. So this first sequence uh, on the ice is 20 minutes. Uh, then we have the Zuko thing. Let's make that maybe 10 at most. Um, and then Omashu, I want to spend a good 20 more minutes. I want to establish uh, this earth bending thing. I want to take us on that uh, emotional arc of is Boomy good, is it Boomy bad? And then boom, they get mugged by this cloaked figure. They're fa- chasing this this cloaked figure. This cloaked figure is an earthbender. This cloaked figure is very quick and and sort of thwarts them at every attempt they have. They try and fly, they try and chase, they try and bend. And this, this figure is almost like a ghost. Um, and this is, of course, an allusion to the episode The Blind Bandit from season two. Um, and they pursue uh, this cloaked figure into the foggy swamp uh, for the foggy swamp tribe episode. Uh, and in the in the swamp, as they're hunting down this uh, this sort of pickpocket, they encounter, uh, you know, enemies that do plant bending by bending the water and plants, which Katara attempts to actually learn and utilizes later in our trilogy, which is a mistake that the animated series made. Um, and they encounter visions of the dead, visions of uh, lost ones. And so it, through this and through the Boomy sequence, we are un, we're unraveling who Aang is. We're unraveling who uh, Sokka and uh, Katara are. We're learning the, the pains and the ills and the scars that these young people that are wise beyond their years uh, have encountered so that we are sort of more at peace when they come into these more life-threatening moments down the line. And we realize that they're actually fighting for a lot more people than just themselves. Um, so uh, we can also, of course, do some fun critters there. I don't know. I have that in there. Um, they battle the Swamp Monster, who's famously Master Who at the end, uh, who verifies uh, that the uh, this like sort of like uh, ghost-like bandit uh, is is sort of a very nomadic and and alludes to uh, it being a young girl and her being a master uh, earthbender and a potential uh, great uh, ally and and uh, mentor to uh, Aang and uh, so eventually they confront this uh, this ghost like bandit um, in a very epic sort of fun messy fight with plant bending and earth bending and water bending um, and it reveals uh, the character reveals himself to be tough. And we don't realize that this character is blind until like this character's sort of cloak is sort of stripped from them. And they're just sort of feeling around and like trying to sense the environment. And it's a, that in itself, I think, is very exciting and very uh, potentially moving. 
moving on to the, the uh, final 30 minutes of our picture. Uh, so all the while, structurally, we're cutting back and forth like the show does between Zuko and Eero's antics. Um, Zuko, of course, on his quest to uh, regain his honor by uh, delivering the Avatar to his father. <clears throat> Uh, his father uh, sort of has, sends out the emissary of his of his evil sister Azula, um, and Azula sort of uh, banishes, effectively banishes uh, Zuko and Iro uh, near the end of season one, maybe maybe mid season two. And they're sort of they have a fall from grace. They lose all their resources. They're reduced to beggars. They're fleeing. Uh, they're trying to make ends meet. So we're doing this back and forth between. Uh, these two different uh, disparate, uh, seemingly disparate narratives. And uh, at the end of our picture, um, we have uh, uh, after Zuko and and uh, Iro have a very messy uh, sort of firebending encounter with folks in a far off land in their sort of uh, disgrace. Iro uh, uh, has the epiphany that he needs to take him to the tea shop. They go to the tea shop where Eero plays one of his favorite games of the checkers, and we reveal uh, the Order of the White Lotus, and they're escorted to a back room, and that's where our picture actually ends. Um, so that's the that's the end of our first movie, and then I just have some quick plot beats for the second and third. So the second film, uh, more skills develop, uh, Zuko and Eero uh, um, on, the, <laughs> on the run. Zuko rescues Aang, who's captured under the new administration. Aang discovers the massacre of his people and realizes he cannot run any longer. So we're placing that early story beat a little bit later in the narrative to sort of uh, propel us into our final sequence for the third film. And then uh, this siege of bossing, say, sort of simultaneously begins under Azula's direction. And uh, I want there to be sort of like, uh, again, a syllogism between this giant... Uh, geo-boring drill uh, to the Death Star. So I want to have that kind of gravitas. I want to have similar sort of shot matches for that to sort of, because, you know, Star Wars ends one of the trilogy in that same manner. So I want to give a, t a hat tip in that respect. Cool. Um, and uh, so in the third film, Aang learns uh, earthbending. Uh, it opens with a giant sort of Helm's Deep caliber uh, siege battle uh, at the walls of Ba Sing Se. It's the first major time where all of our uh, now well-developed and well-invested, uh, you know, divested storylines sort of all come into contact. The characters are now strong enough that the fights are actually entertaining. Um, this is something that we could afford to sort of piddle around with in uh, in like a serial format or like a TV format where it's like, and then they have a kind of shitty fight and then so-and-so escapes. Like, I want it to be hard-hitting. I want it to be just, it, they will not fight until they are all strong enough. Um, so then Aang learns uh, firebending from a disgraced Zuko and Iro eventually, and he heads into the final sequence of the Fire Kingdom with the missing uh, bit of bending. As far as casting, I wasn't super um, keen on, uh, like, I didn't want to control every aspect of it. I do know that I want Sophia Butella from uh, Star Trek uh, to be uh, Azula. I think she'd be brilliant. I think she's wonderful. I like the um, South Asian piece there. Um, James Hong, I want to be the 601 feature film on James Hong's resume for him to be my uncle. I was uh, going to say Uncle Iroh. That would be great. Yeah. yeah he, uh, because uh, what I think is yeah. important about Iroh is that we get a sense that he was once a very powerful and majestic and honorable uh, person and character. And I think James Hong not only carries that as an actor, but if you look at it, 
um, you know, not, you know, non-diegetically outside of the world of the story. Um, he's a very venerated and one of the most liked actors in Hollywood. And I think that that would, that would sort of make it a more immersive performance. Um, I'm, uh, I also want Henry Golding from Crazy Rich Asians, that really handsome man who's sort of the beau in, in Crazy Rich Asians to be, um, my, uh, my, uh, Zuko. Um, I want to sort so of you're play. Gonna th- a- you're going <clears> to <throat> age up then. Potentially, or I wanted to play the proper redemption game time machine card where if the year is 2010, if this is okay. 10 years prior, then these people are the ages that I would like. Okay. Except all right, for, all right. I'll, except I'll for allow Mr. It, Hong, I'll he allow has to it. stay old. Yeah. Hong has to be my boomy and has to stay old. Uh, but uh, I think as far as like Sokka and uh, Aang and... Um, Katara, I wasn't too keen on those castings. Maybe Manny Jacinto from The Good Place. I'm, we debated about it today. I don't know if he's a good actor. Um, maybe he could pull off the physicality of Sokka. Um, but I would like um, Who is Asian he on actors the good place? to fill those roles. Uh, he's sort of like the he's like the disgraced Buddhist monk who... Um, he's like oh, super goofy and kind of like... Jo- yeah. uh, uh, Jason, Jason Mendoza. He's J- uh, Jason on, on The Good Place. He's like one of the four main characters. Oh, he plays um, a character I, named Jason. Yes. I oh, yeah. He's so, a good actor. So Manny Jacinto, yeah. Manny Jacinto is a Filipino actor uh, who plays Jason on The Good Place. I think he might be good for Sokka. Definitely better than the Twilight guy. Yeah. Um, but again, I'm not like if I'm pitching this and someone's like, all right, that's cool. But we have to trash uh, Manny. I'm like throwing the garbage along with oh. the original picture. I, I don't really care that much. Well, um, yeah. I I got to say, I right off the bat, in terms of casting, I adore your James Hong as uh, Uncle Iroh. I think that James Hong, James Hong makes me cry in Kung Fu Panda, and James Hong makes mm, me cry yes. in Kung Fu Panda 2, and James <laughs> Hong makes me cry in Kung Fu Panda 3. So uh, I think he's great um, as that like father figure in those movies. And uh, Uncle Iroh also makes everybody cry in, yep. in Avatar, so I think yep. that's great. Um, one thing here's 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 my here's my um, hi I'm um, Marcus from uh, uh, I don't know marketing how how the show worked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Marcus from Canon. <laughs> I'm Marcus. Yeah, I'm Marcus from from uh, uh, story structure from the story structure department, <laughs> and uh, so. My my, I think something that you're losing, um, and and could be fixed with just like a little tweak uh, from the show is I I I think that the way the show is structured around Ang learning the three missing elements is really cool. So I think, and I think that's something you should you should you should tweak and kind of work back in to your version where he learns water, earth, and then fire. So like each movie, he's mastering another element. I think the way the seasons do that is a really cool way to just like structure the show around like, okay, he has to learn these things and each season he's going to learn one. It gives you sort of like a greater goal for each individual movie to kind of like focus on of like, okay, this is the water movie. He's going to learn water bending. There's going to be other stuff going on, but like keep that in your head because then in movie two, you got to learn earth. And then in movie three, he's got to learn fire. It's also great because you have the entire through line of, of Aang has this huge resentment for the fire nation. And you're, you're going in with the knowledge of like, well, each season he's going to learn a, 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 an element. You're like, but how's he going to learn fire? He can't stand fire and he can't stand the fire nation. So it makes it all the sweeter when, you know, his mortal enemy is the one who teaches him how to bend fire. 
So that yeah. would be the twitch that I, Marcus, uh, the, the tweak <laughs> that I would I would uh, propose um, is just is keeping at least that element of the structure. I like all of the like reframing the narrative and focusing instead on larger, like the larger story beats rather than like all of the minutia. Um, that's just the one thing I would want to see kept in a, in a, in a live action film trilogy. I will say that I was surprised to hear how much you mixed up the, the order of, of things that happened over the course of all three seasons of the series. But as I was thinking about it, as you were talking, I was like, you know, that's actually not a bad approach because I, I do think that unless you're planning on doing a Peter Jackson style four and a half hour long movie for each one, you have to, I think there is a certain willingness that's required to sort of like chop it up and cut and paste so that you can make something that feels narratively uh, like succinct in mm-hmm. the time period that you have, the, the amount of time that you have available. And I think that if we get, if we do get too hung up on like, this is the order that stuff happens. It like might actually be kind of limiting. And I wasn't even thinking with that possibility in mind until you started talking. And then I was like, oh, that might actually be a really wise approach because I think that it doesn't, I I don't think like clearly trying to just like shoehorn a bunch of exposition in so that every single thing that happens can be at least verbalized that it happened, which is stupid. That doesn't work. So I do think it's a good idea to like separate yourself from like what actually happened in terms of order in the original series and just like pick and choose the most important things and like decide what order they go in. It doesn't have to be the same order as before. I think that's really interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the I like the early establishment of Bossing Say so that we have sort of an emotional attachment to that city from the very first movie. Since, you know, Bossing Say is almost the sort of like centerpiece to the whole series of like, yeah. you know, the the siege is such a I mean, it's really just season two, but like that siege is such a big moment. So the you know, and that be, of our story. Yeah. yeah, that can be that can be such a big, you know, yeah, moment true. for you in, in movie two. And then when it shows up in movie two, you're like, oh, I remember that place from the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's good. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think I think your approach of just like, let's focus on like the big beats. Let's focus on Bossing Say. Let's focus on, you know, Sozin's Comet or whatever. Just just those big things and, and you know, remove what we can is is that's what you have to do because you don't have a season of television, you know? And, yeah. you, and it's, a, it's a fool's errand to try to just take like all of the beats from season one and put it in one movie because it's just <laughs> not gonna, it's not gonna work. It's not yeah. structured that way. Well, it's, 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 there's yeah. no universe. Well, and the human mind can't take in that much information, even if you did fast forward through it. I mean, in the film, we see a bison, a water bison sort of lift off the ground. And it's like a it's like an annoyance to the characters. They're like, oh, there's a flying bison. Fuck that thing. I'm like, you use bone weapons. You use <laughs> fishing line and you struggle to make fires at night. This thing is flying and we're giving this less time than you running across the ice and making mistakes. Yeah, it's uh it was a very strange pacing that picture. Uh, so I'm reminded I'm reminded a lot of of uh Patton Oswalt's uh critique of the Watchmen movie, which mm-hmm. was he was like 
I, I on the one hand, I respect that you know it's so beat for beat for the comic, but but part of what adaptation means is that you have to adapt it, which means you can't just do the literal exact thing because it's not going to work going yeah. medium to medium, just telling the exact same story. You yeah. know, even and it's almost it, an insult to the to the mediums themselves to just say, yeah. oh, we can just transfer this exactly the same, just transplant it, and it'll work. That's almost an insult to the the specificity and the nuance that each medium holds. A hundred percent. That's what adaptation is. It's the process of taking something in one medium and being and then finding a way to make those same ideas and themes work in another. And you can't do that by just you know, copy and pasting the the panels of Watchmen and putting them in with with real <laughs> actors. You also can't yeah. do that if you fundamentally don't understand what Watchmen is about, which is what happened with that movie, <laughs> which is horrible. Um, I just recently rewatched the Watchmen movie, and it's it's awful. Oh my god. Um, anyway, uh, Chris uh, Marcus over here again. I'm stepping back in, and I just want to say you're getting the green light. Oh, thank uh, you, it's Marcus. A, it's wow. an ambitious it's an ambitious trilogy. Who are you thinking to direct? Oh, that's a good question, Marcus. Honestly, all right, here's who I couldn't get, but I know would just give me a a, a parade down Main Street through every executive meeting and give me the whatever electric, I wanted. Electric light parade down Main the Street. The electric light parade, if we could get Jackson electric light parade. Here I'm gonna hit you with something a little bit more controversial. And this person was the second unit director on one of the more ambitious of the hobbits is a uh, master of uh, visual effects and uh, motion capture performance i do think mm. potentially that uh the the fire king what's the guy's name the dad who's voiced by mark hamill uh, the the villain guy big bad what? oh uh, fire lord ozai yeah uh, oh. a, a, a potential conversation that i i didn't want to pitch because i well, it's one of those after you get greenlit, then you start making your demands. I would potentially do a sort of what they did to Benicio Del Toro in the Pirates of the Caribbean. Get an actor mm-hmm. and then a computer CGI and make sort of this molten, uh, you know, Fire Lord Ozai. This man who's been destroyed by his own artifices. Um, and so you want I, him to be CGI? Mostly, yeah. Yeah, mostly. Oh my god! Whoa! Yeah. All right. This is uh, this is David from CGI. Oh, David. Yeah. Uh, I'm giving you the red light on that oh, one. Oh <laughs> shit! All right. Well, David, I'm glad I didn't include it in the in the original pitch. Uh, Marcus would have kicked my ass in. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> then Andy Circus is our director for uh, for my uh, my trilogy. Ooh. We're letting Andy take the driver's seat. He studied under Jackson. He's proven himself as both a performer and director in the Planet of the Apes series for me. Um, I want to see his take on this. I would have him heavily advised by fanboys and, you know, lore masters alike to make sure, sure we stayed on track, though. Because I don't you, know that he has a lot of love for the series himself, naturally. With Andy Serkis on board, would you consider doing like a Tintin situation and like uh, uh, motion capturing just the whole movie, making everything <laughs> look like oh, make, Tintin? Yeah. I mean, you know, Tintin. Everything fits that right movie in Canny Valley. Right squarely in there. Well, so Tintin is not uncanny, though, because it has like a cartoon aesthetic to it. It is motion capture. That would be interesting, But it has like a cartoon aesthetic over it so that it doesn't have that weird feeling to it. And that movie, I mean, I I haven't seen it in nine years, but I remember it looking really impressive. Yeah, I think, yeah. And if we're doing something like that, yeah, let's have circuits do the capturing. What I like about this is that it sort of exhumes us from the deafening shadow 
of this terrible live action, The Last Airbender, and also what is sure to be a terrible Netflix adaptation of Avatar. To have mm. something that's sort of uh, an in-between might actually behoove us as far as with audiences. I think I think there's something interesting there. Uh, Kierna, um, what do you what do you think? Red light, green light, or yellow light? Uh, for the 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 animation idea. Well, for for just this pitch as a whole. Oh wow. Um, no, I think it's a green light. I think it's a green light with hesitance, but it's a green mm, light. That would yeah. be a yellow light. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think it's a yellow light. <laughs> yeah. Hesitate. Proceed with caution. Light. Whatever. If only we had a color for that. I think it's a New York green light where you never know if a pedestrian's going to step out in front of you or not. It's a. You Fair. could die if you green light it. Yeah. What What is it that gives you pause with this? And I'm interested. And no. And I don't. Well, I don't contest it. I. You know. I have to say, I do agree with Matt. I wrote this big paragraph about how the basic exposition of the story is that Aang must learn all, f- and this is part of my pitch too, so I probably am accidentally kind of starting early. No, that's okay. Like, we can yeah, use we can this tr- as a segue. This okay. is a segue into your, pitch, your yeah. pitch. Yeah, so like even like just starting this, the, the live action one again, and being reminded of how bad it is, it's like, okay, they're pouring so much energy into exposition because they don't have time to tell us all the information, right? But it's like they skipped the most important and the most basic exposition that we needed, which if you haven't seen Avatar is just Aang is this powerful person that has been reincarnated and his job or their job is to protect and maintain peace. In order to do that, they need to know all four elements. They need to know how to bend all four elements. That's it. That is the exposition. Aang needs to learn how to bend all four elements. He only knows how to bend air. So then that's it. We learn water, then we learn earth, then we learn fire. Bing, bing, boom. It's like so easy. And they skipped the most important, most basic part of the exposition in the movie. So you're like vague from the beginning on what they're even trying to do other than that Aang is vaguely important. And so I do think that that part of the structure of like water, then earth, then fire is kind of important because it has this sort of like, like ritualistic elemental sort of like staircase vibe to it and so that is the only part that I feel a little bit suspicious on in yours is like I think that the separation of he has to learn water in the first movie I would save earthbending until the second because otherwise you're gonna what did you say you're gonna shoot your wad too early if you teach him earthbending in the first movie yeah I would also it makes the most sense to start with water because he's found by Katara who is a waterbender and you already have like your teacher right there right Right. That makes sense. I do hear that. I would I would agree to this ultimately, but if I were to do this in practice, I would get the green light. I would get ushered into the back room with Marcus and the other people <laughs> from the How the Show Works department, and I would play <laughs> fucking dumb. I would be like, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> Just to oh, make no. them so mad and make them explain to me ad nauseum how the <laughs> elemental wheel of this story works. That's be a like, good way to lose your shit, job. This actually was a good idea. This is pretty cool. This is a pretty cool show. <laughs> I can see why I you guys watch like this. this. Which, to me, I should I watch this show. That kid that I beat up and stuffed in his locker took this his is- pitch like did so much. <laughs> That's probably not far from what M. Night Shyamalan did too because uh, yeah. he also was not interested in the show. He just saw his daughter. Yeah, I read an article that said his daughter dressed up like Katara for Halloween and he yes. was like, what the fuck's this? 
And then he decided <laughs> that he would then take that show and put coming, it in his pocket. Coming next summer, M. Yeah. Night Shyamalan's it's like, bad ghost. To you. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan's bad ghost costume with holes in the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> this Halloween. Uh, yeah. Yep. Oh my god! All right. Well, kids, <clears throat> Kierna, let's 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 segue then right into your pitch because I want to hear I want to hear how you correct all of Chris's glaring <laughs> mistakes. No, uh, I no, would no, say no. daring uh, <laughs> inaccuracies. You go in with a freedom that <laughs> I did a, not. Yeah. I do not have, and <laughs> I respect a nice, that. It's a nice role reversal for Chris's pitch to be the uh, controversial <laughs> one. I guess we haven't gotten to mine yet, so let's oh let's save it. Yeah, he's gonna deconstruct uh, right. it before your eyes. All right. So I'm glad that I had a. a a moment to first give my speech on the exposition because I think that in order to um, to sort of like shrink down the size of the story into something that can fit in two hours, hypothetically, we have to begin with that exposition so that even an audience that doesn't understand the story can pick up on the basic principles. And that way we then have the latitude to add in a lot of the detail that maybe only the fans will pick up because it doesn't matter because the the audience that doesn't know the story still is picking up on the basic tenets, which are the Avatar needs to learn to bend all four elements so that he can maintain peace. Um, so that's the first thing is I think that when the story is being written, um, we need to focus on really, really clearly establishing that is the overarching goal. Um, I'm going to like stick with the classic format of three movies, one movie per season. So with that being said, the first movie will basically cover the first season where Aang is discovered. He meets the Southern Water Tribe and then they hike their way up to the Northern Water Tribe so that Aang can learn waterbending. It's basically just what's happening in the first season. Um, here's what I would fix. So... And this is me just like listing my problems with the the, the current uh, live action. No, please. So obviously the casting is atrocious. Something that I think is so, it's especially problematic because M. Night Shyamalan is a man of color. Like it's especially problematic because it, fe- and Chris said this very succinctly also, it feels like we should have been able to trust him with casting this in a conscious way because he is a person of color. And instead he just fucked it up in the most possible offensive way he could have, <laughs> which is that he made everyone white except for the bad guys who are of color. It's like so cringy. It's just so cringy. And I, I think that like, it goes without saying that the entire cast should be Asian. Like it, th- that's the story. The story is a story that pulls from like Asian religions, Asian languages, Asian martial arts, Asian, like just like so many things, like the the cast needs to be an Asian cast. Um, I have a cast in mind for some of the main characters I'll talk about later. Also, the live action is way too serious and ponderous. One of the Mm. really important parts of this series, of the animated series, is that it, it like walks on this like perfect knife's edge of like super goofy, like the, like this quality that is kind of hard to find in much other than anime it's this like really goofy like extremely stylized almost like caricature at times quality and Mm -hmm. i to be honest i think it would be really difficult to translate this into a live action but i think it could be done with the right director 
Yeah, I mean, look at something like I think something that captures that same kind of energy that you're talking about of like, you know, you have stakes, but it's still kind of lighthearted and fun is like yeah. look at like a, a Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, exactly. You know, something like that where it's exactly. like, you know, it, that I think like I think it's Chris Pratt's funny, energy. It's genuinely but you still yeah. care what's going to happen. Exactly. Like yeah. It, 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 yeah. it feels tonally very in line with, yes. with what Avatar yes. has. Exactly, exactly. So I think the entire tone needs a complete shift. We need to be very aware at every moment of this balance between, okay, the stakes are really high. We're literally saving the world. But also, in the end, it's like a group of 12-year-olds and some animals that are doing it. So it has to be silly and lighthearted, and we have to be okay with them fucking up, and we have to see them being kids in the process, and we have to believe that they are kids, or else... That if, that's the other thing is that if we don't believe that these characters are children inside, then we also lose some of the stakes because it's so much less. It, I care so much less about a protagonist that has their shit together than I care about a protagonist that doesn't have the tools they need to win. You know, that's yeah, so much more interesting. And one of the, I think, most compelling story elements of the animated series is, is sort of Aang's kind of loss of innocence as yes. he is like the most yes. use, youthful and pure hearted. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, BT dubs, you have to murder a man at the end of your quest. Yes. And that's like something that's like really like huge for him to grapple with and one of the most right. interesting parts of the show. And also the relationship between the fact that he doesn't really want this responsibility, because that's an interesting piece of the lore of the story, right? Is that like the avatar is a being that is reincarnated throughout time over the course of like different bodies and different like circumstances. And it's not something that you opt into. It's something that you just like, you just like are, it's just like a card you're dealt. And so Aang is like this child that has been dealt, it's like a very Harry Potter play, a classic, like, you are mm -hmm. the chosen one. You don't get to decide whether this is your responsibility. It is. And you now have to come to terms with that. And I think that that's also a really important piece of Aang's journey is like, so much of it is him just resisting the fact that he doesn't really get to be a kid. Like, he he is one, but like he, the the responsibilities that are placed on him are not the responsibilities of a child. Like, who wants a 12-year-old peacemaker, like, like mediating conversations between tribes. Like that seems like a terrible idea. So like, mm. I think that's an important conflict that we miss completely in this movie because here's the next thing. It, it feels completely sleepy and <laughs> <laughs> it feels completely sleepy and we miss any relationships being established at all between any of our main characters. Like mm -hmm. they find Aang and then immediately they go into this like, like sleepy, half-assed, like deadpan version of the adventure. But we don't care about Aang. We don't care about Katara and Sokka because we don't know anything about them. And they've proved themselves to be just like too serious and mean already. And then, and then we're into the adventure and it doesn't, no one cares because we don't care about them. So it's like, we also need to right away establish, like we need to prioritize their relationships, the three of them. And also, and also the animals are, that's an important part too, that I think is easy to undervalue. Like I think the relationships between the three kids and then also Appa, the giant bison, who doesn't even get named. Do they ever even name Appa in the movie? I think they say it once. And they also like, Momo flies by once, but they, I don't know if they ever name Momo. Yeah. And, and that's also a part that's like, it's so easy to fix that because- Aang is in the ice with Appa when they find him. So Aang would know Appa and would be like, hey, this is my bitch Appa. This is this giant bison. It, it was just clearly made by a man who on some level 
hated the Avatar series because <laughs> I'm convinced of this because if you don't recognize the integral role of Appa and Momo to this narrative, not only as a conveyance and a way for them to fly. I mean, you have the map behind you, Matt. It's all fucking islands. Like without mm-hmm. without Appa, it's just like it's it's a very small and unimaginative and not epic journey. And also, I would add to that, Appa is a crucial tool that allows these children to have the freedom to do the important shit that they're trying to do that otherwise they couldn't do because they're children. Like having a flying bison that can take them like country hopping essentially is a tool that like might have made or broken whether or not they were able to do the things they did to begin with. When it also allows them to continue to have some sort of touchstone that nurtures them. Mm -hmm. You see this technique used in Dragonheart. You see this technique used in Aragon. You see this technique used in in the the never-ending story with Falcor. Falcor. I almost mixed up Melchior from Spring Awakening (laughs) and Falcor. Um, But, uh, you know, it's a big, fluffy, king-sized mattress that they're flying on all around. You know, it's a magic flying carpet. It's a it's a staff of dreams. You know, it's a it's a mystical item. Uh, that that conveys them all around. It's it it re- they retain their softness he also, largely in in part due to Appa. Yeah, but also Appa has an intuition and a wisdom that is a, a very like protective, nurturing energy, like you yeah. said. And I think that's also important. Appa has a really good intuition that comes in at crucial points in the story where he's like he like roars in someone's face, and they're like, "Oh, maybe you know, like." I feel yeah. like Matt well, wants to say something. Um, so this is, uh, hey, this is Linda from uh, Marketing. Oh, hey, Linda. And let me also <laughs> just say that uh, something we're not saying, but is clearly the subtext of everything we are saying, <laughs> Appa's going to sell the plushes. And we got to sell of the plushes. Of course. going to sell the plushes. We can sell them in all sizes, keychain size, huggy mm. size, mm. bed mm. size. You could sleep on an Appa if you wanted an to. Also, we didn't even mention Totoro. Like, Totoro is a perfect example of this same archetype of, like, this giant, like, benevolent creature forest that's creature, wise. Yeah. yeah, like, forest creature that's, like, wise and doesn't have a lot to say, but it's going to, like, take care of you. Like, that's an it's important a presence. archetype. And, and so, them throwing that away just threw away so much of their film. So if, if, if I may, uh, I'm... Um, Magni from the uh, magnifying department. Uh, if I can just magnify a bit on 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 kind of what we're uh, talking about here. Um, so your 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 pitch, what you're you're describing is you're going to strip away the fat. Basically, you're going to make this this first film is going to be just about these children going on this singular adventure. That's going to be the, the that's that's what we're dealing with here for this first film. Yes, and I think that it's important. I think very similarly to, for example, and I think I'm not saying that these movies are necessarily corollary, although they could be. I think similarly to how the Fellowship of the Ring begins and it feels like we're starting small, right? Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. only in the last maybe 30 minutes of the movie do we have an idea of actually what we got involved in, and it's much bigger than we thought initially. I think that's where we go with this first movie. I think we make it feel like we are following a band of children and we are seeing their relationships develop. We're seeing goofy, silly, genuinely funny things that are unfolding while they are grappling with these genuine dangers of traveling by themselves as children. Let me me ask you this. Are Mm -hmm. you keeping in the moon spirit? 
that was something that was kept in the movie, but not given nearly enough time to have any sort of relevance. I know. Here's the thing. I don't know. Because even to me, even in the show, I never really cared that much about that arc. And that might just be me. But I found it hard to believe <laughs> that hard to believe. Sokka, we'll end it there. <laughs> I just, even in the show, I felt like it was a little bit rushed. Because, and okay, to be fair, it's been like a year or two since I've watched the show. But it, I remember just like feeling like Sokka and her relationship was mostly just like infatuation. And so when she dies, it's like, oh no, Sokka lost this hot girl. Like, Sad for him for a second, and then he's fine because it's it feels more like Sokka is grappling with death as a whole than it is that he's grappling with a lost love because there isn't really much time for them to fall in love, even in the series. So let me ask you this then. What is sort of your your climax? Because just to sort of refresh the minds of the the audience, uh, the first season ends with the the Fire Nation attacking the Northern Water Tribe. And we have this big showdown where the moon spirits come down and assist Aang in his avatar state. And he kind of like finally masters water as he sends the big tidal wave out against the Fire Nation fleet. Dies. That's our that's our big climax so what what kind i mean are you going to just keep kind of those same beats just without the the kind of moon spirit subplot which i think is is possible or you could have them arrive at the northern water tribe sooner and use kind of your set your sort of first half of the movie is like the journey there and like establishing them as characters and our second half is kind of them uh, at the Northern Water Tribe, kind of preparing for that, you give more screen time to the the and princess. And let them establish their relationship a little bit Ex- more. Exactly, exactly. Maybe I would do that because I do think that it's important for there to be some kind of a personal loss that occurs in that initial Fire Nation attack. Like if it's just the Fire Nation attack, like, and I'm saying from the audience's perspective, obviously right. personal losses are occurring when a war is happening. But like, I think the audience needs to feel some kind of a loss that isn't just, oh, we're seeing random NPCs dying. Like, so I, I, I don't, I haven't really thought about this part, but maybe that's what I would do. I think that's a really good idea. And it would sort of solve my own issue with that plot piece, even in the series to begin with. And we could still justify there being some sort of a personal loss that also justifies a lot of Sokka's sort of like, it's sort of like a catalyst also for Sokka, I think. Like losing her does become this mm. thing that sort of like catapults him forward into like kind of like stepping up to the plate. Not like he ever really fully stepped up to the plate, but like he kind of does, you know, as in a Sokka way. Uh-huh. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think I like that idea. I'm gonna go with your idea, Matt. I think I think I think laser focus focusing in and making it just like a journey movie like like movie yeah. one is just is just a journey movie. Like it's just the the, just just the trip and from the finding him in the time, ice and going up. Yes. And we spend that time specifically bonding them as a team that we care about so that mm. then we have something to jump off from. And the other two movies can be more about the larger world that we are revealed at the end of the first one. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I think that's great. I think I think trimming the fat and just focusing on on the the big beat. You know, it's a lot like what we were talking about with with Chris, with Chris's yeah. movie. Is we just we just <laughs> focus in on the important beats of the story, 
and and you know and you can even and by giving more screen time to the to the to the moon princess and having that relationship get more fleshed out you're even given the kind of opportunity to much like we do here on the redemption game kind of redeem some elements of the show that yeah. didn't work quite as well yeah like that's maybe so you true. don't you don't necessarily need to have a big stupid fish monster show up and and shoot the tidal oh, wave out. So cringy, um, so cringe. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Just looks it just looks kind of silly. Like a joke. Um, yeah, it's I, like I the mean, only joke in the movie that actually made it. The only funny thing. Um, yeah, I agree with that. I think that sounds really good. Um, I uh, let's see. Okay, so then movie two and three are basically what I already said. Like movie two, he gets trained in earth bending. Movie three uh, is firebending and obviously all of the important plot points that go with that. So Zuko is obviously introduced in the first movie. The second movie, Zuko falls from grace and Azula becomes kind of like the larger bad guy that sort of steps in in place of Zuko while Zuko is having his own identity crisis. And then in the third movie, they team up with Zuko and um, we have that sort of like really complicated ending. In terms of soundtrack, I would like to bring in the original composers for the series because I think that the music in the series was an incredibly important part of the tone. And the tone mm. is one of the major issues I had with the live action. So I would like to bring in the original composers. Um, and and if they need help, you know, because I, I was actually researching, I didn't know this, but a lot of what they did was like mostly MIDI tracks. And then only in the last few episodes did they actually get a live orchestra. So I don't know if they need like a support team to come in and like help them compose a full score that isn't just MIDI tracks. I don't know. If, I don't know how composing works. But like I do think that tonally the original composers should be brought in because they had this great understanding of like character themes, bringing in that humor, bringing in that like fun, like honky tonk sound whenever stuff is like goofy and silly. Like I think all that's mm. so important to the tone. Um, and for cast, um, okay. So I think, um, Sokka, do you know, um, oh, fuck. What was he? Okay. I know who this is, but what was he in that we loved though? Jimmy. Jimmy O. Yang is what Jin Yang in, and, uh, he's Jin Yang in, um, Silicon Valley. Oh yeah. Show. Yeah. in Silicon Valley. Okay. I was like, I can know, I can remember this character. <laughs> Wait, I can remember who, what he's and in. who do you want him to be? Okay. So I want, <laughs> I want Jimmy O. Yang. Or Vincent Rodriguez the third to be Sokka. Um, Vincent Rodriguez the third was wow. I put the love all interest these... in uh, in uh, oh yeah in um, the singing show with the lady with Rachel Bloom in um, in uh, crazy, crazy ex girlfriend yeah crazy ex girlfriend. So I think both of them have that like goofy quality. I don't know if Josh. Jimmy O Yang is too modern and subtle i don't know if he'd he'd be able to like make it happen but i think both of them have that good like goofy quality so you so you don't want the water tribe you're not having the water tribe be inuit you're having them be be like everybody's asian i think everyone should be asian yeah okay um i think that katara could be do you know lana condor she's done like some smaller movies but she did this one on netflix that's really popular called to all the boys i've loved before but she has this great like i've heard that's good yeah, it's cute. Mm -hmm, it's cute. Mm -hmm. She has like a good like sitcom sense of humor. And I think that with the right director, she could marry that with something that still had the heft that the movie needed, but also had that like lighthearted quality. So I think she could be good for Katara or Brenda Song throwback. And remember, this is 10 years ago, so I think she still could be young enough. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. So you're using the time machine game. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, so maybe Brenda Song. And Brenda Song did some like cutesy Disney martial arts stuff. So she yeah. could probably pick Wendy up on Wu. Wendy Wu, Homecoming Hello. Warrior. Hello. Homecoming, <laughs> Homecoming has never been <laughs> as safe as it was during the Wu, the Wu presidency. <laughs> oh, um, boy. Okay. For Zuko, I actually did love, I forgot that Dev Patel played Zuko in this. And I actually thought that's good casting. I think that he was really good as Zuko. But I also, do you know, um, Ki Hong Lee? He was in Maze Runner and another one that I can't remember. He's really mm-hmm. tall. He's only really seen, good in Maze Runner. I've only seen Maze Runner with the sound off on a plane. So okay. I don't think I can really speak to sound any of the off, characters. Huh? It's okay. He's great in Maze Runner. He plays this like conflicted antagonist. So I was like, well, that's perfect. I think he would. And also Maze Runner has a ton of stunts. So I think he could be like a no brainer for Zuko. But I did like Dev Patel. I forgot that he is like one of the few parts of the movie that actually, mm-hmm. at least in terms of acting, worked for me. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a good actor. I would love to he's see him actor. like with a with a better director. I don't yeah. think that he's directed <laughs> right. very well. That he mostly just yelling. That's that's mostly yeah. his scenes in that movie. But at least he's um, acting as opposed to everyone else who's just kind of lost, um, floating around. So that's my ideas for Zuko. Okay. Maybe this is a bad idea. Maybe it's a brilliant idea. But hear me out. Uncle mm-hmm. Iroh, Jackie Chan. Now, <laughs> we have to fudge this a little bit because if we are playing the time machine game, this doesn't work. But if Jackie Chan is as old as he is now, which is in his mid to late 60s, it could be perfect. And we do need some star power for this. And well, most of the people I've been saying so far are like B-listers at best. So, so I feel like having Jackie Chan as Uncle Iroh could be super nostalgic for some people, right? Keep in mind, this is around the same time as he was in the Karate Kid reboot where he confusingly teaches a kid kung fu and not karate. Okay, um, let's just say that he's he playing, said no well, to that movie and said well, yes no, to this movie instead. I, well, hang on. I'm, I'm on your side <laughs> here because I'm saying that he in that movie, he's playing the, the Mr. Miyagi Mr. role. Miyagi. So he's playing yeah. like the old... Mentor, right? Um, so it's 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 a similar type of role. I don't. I just don't feel like uh, Jackie Chan necessarily has that like that wise old uh, like like sweet energy. But I, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I I don't want to be mean to Jackie Chan. He is like a. I think he has Chinese the sweet part. I don't know I like if he him. has the like wise part because he's kind of like doofy. We'd all but, like to see. But him kick Uncle some Iroh ass, is kind though. of doofy sometimes too. And I think again with the right director, he could be directed into making that doofiness that like goofy like. You know, right. whatever. Maybe he doesn't know what's going on, but things go right for him. Thing that Jackie Jackie Chan does. I feel like you could evolve that into the Uncle Iroh sort of like he has this delightful sense of humor, but there's so much going on underneath as a current. I'm know? not not I'm not not interested. Uh, okay. I need to wa- I, let me watch the, uh, uh, the <laughs> Karate Kid reboot, and I'll get back okay. to you. All right, that's fair. Um, <laughs> and then my final casting decision that I am I think this is a bold move, but I think it would be really cool is for Aang. I would cast Ian Alexander. Do you know who that is? No. no. Okay. Wrong? So Ian Alexander um, was most notably in the OA. Oh, no, um, I know Ian he's, Alexander. He's a trans-Vietnamese kid, and I do think it would be a bold move because... I thought about casting Ian as well, actually. I don't yeah, think it's a bold move. But I think I think or that it would bold. make so much... I think it would make so much sense for so many reasons, and I think he has this, like, incredible youthful energy that is so crucial for Aang. Like, with Katara and Sokka, like, it's okay if they're, like, in their early 20s and look like in, they're in their early 20s and we can, like, all suspend our disbelief. But, like, Aang has to look like young and i think ian alexander has that look we know he's a great actor 
we know he can handle like the heaviness of it. And I think with the right director and the right connection with his cast, he could also get the lighthearted shit. I feel like Ian, I feel like we just have to accept a very different Aang with, with Ian. I almost cast Ian myself as, as Aang. Um, I think well, that well. Uh, humble brag <laughs> with my imaginary film. Uh, I feel like Ian is very shy in how I see, uh, see them appear on, on screen. Um, and I'm okay with that for an Aang that like, maybe it's a rise that are like, Hmm, like a, a yeah, tight shot as something happens sure behind and it would be right. like, you could do it with like effects and whatnot. And we've taken shy well, and actors think, and made them funny on screen. Before. I also think with the right director that, I mean, that could have just been like the character that he, excuse me, the character that he played in the OA. Like it might be that like with the right director, he could play the Aang that we expect of like this crazy bouncing off the walls. It could be 12 year old, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, all I, I don't know this, this, this actor at all, but all I'll say is that if you do go with him and you want somebody that's look younger, I would say don't get somebody in their twenties for Katara just because you're going to eventually have to cross the bridge of their romance oh, yeah, you. and you don't I want don't it to ever... look weird. <laughs> um, so as long as they look similar in age, I think that that's fine. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, Aang has, Aang, Aang is very much in the model of, of, I think after Dragon Ball, I think Kid Goku was, yeah. like, mm. he became his own archetype. And I think that Aang is very much in the same mold as Kid Goku, that kind of like ridiculously powerful, but like the mind of just like an easily distracted child. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of like it's it's kind of like Kid Goku mixed with like Gautama Buddha. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In the character design for Aang. Interesting. Very much so. I mean, they both fly around. Uh, they yeah. both uh, have sticks. Um, <laughs> it makes sticks. perfect sense. They both look at many full paths before them. Uh, yeah. Aang oh, is significantly well. smarter than Goku, who is, uh, I mean, he is he is borderline just like a rock. Um, so that's, um, that's he's got that going. Yeah, so that's pretty much my pitch. Oh, and the last little like nugget of um, just like fun shit that I want to put in there is this would be very important to me that the, I actually can't even remember if this happens in the first season. Shit, so this might be a problem. But, I really want the first end credit song to be Secret Tunnel. You know, Secret Tunnel? Was that a song in the show? Yeah. I it's they they meet these like traveling like homeless guys at one point. I can't remember if it happens in the first season. It's probably second season. And I think. they sing this song and it goes like it's like two, two lovers, lovers searching for are destined for one another. And it's like so funny. And then the chorus is like between them. It's it's so bad and like just like hilarious. And then the (laughs) the chorus is secret tunnel, secret tunnel. And it's like just so funny. As they walk through this. As they walk through a tunnel. Yeah, it's very funny. Yeah. So I would love to have that be the like first end credits, just like right into like blackout. Secret tunnel. You listening to it? No, I just looked up to see what season it is. It's season two. Season two, damn it. Um, but I mean, like you, you can you can fudge it. You can put it you in can, there. Whatever. And it, it can serve matter. as a teaser, sort of. Is that yeah. the, is that conclude we'll your high? Yeah, that concludes my pitch. Well, this is Gary from fan service. First of oh. all, I'd like to say thank you for the fan service. Um, it's exactly. It feels very expected. Um, there was a young madman who came in earlier who totally just mixed up the whole story. No. And, oh no, I liked him better, but 
Don't console me. Um, <laughs> no, no uh, I think that it's it's right down Main Street. And I think these very uh, all of us fans have been just used and abused by this, by this, by these adaptations that we it need really a is vanilla, a vanilla, like something everyone's comfortable with. Yeah, I think I think if this was real 2010 and we hadn't been used in abuse at this point by two different studios i would say give us a little bit of a surprise there but i think something that's a nice french vanilla is is just just what the doctor ordered yeah Mm, i love a good french vanilla what gets the green light for me i think i mean it sounds like you're you're basically just ironing out all the kinks and uh you know bringing the bringing the core of the show without all the baggage and i like that so green light over here chris chris what are you giving yeah, Gary's waving while he's he's working. Up, Gary, it's okay. He's working up a sweat. He's excitable. Yeah, it's a green light from us. Yes. Oh, beautiful. Well, if it's all right with you guys, I'd like to transition into my pitch now. Yep. So let's talk about my pitch because my pitch is going to be a little different from what we've heard so far. That's really I'm, surprising. Again... I don't know why, but I expected something <laughs> really boring from you. So I decided I'm going to throw out one of my one of the classic. You guys have been playing the adaptation game Time Machine card. Mm-hmm. I'm playing the uh, uh, the mat the mat shot uh, mm-hmm. curveball card. Okay. Where I'm I'm have breaking. You, did you the, stop playing that at some point? <laughs> <laughs> I've had some conventional ones here and there. Um, so I I went into this pitch with a very particular mindset, and that is that I thought you know what. I think live action is cursed. Oh. I think that live action is doomed, it's cursed, and I don't think it can work. So I think that so much of the show is built around the way that it is animated and the, and just uses the medium of animation so specifically that I am going to make this movie a splendid animated spectacular. Mm-hmm. And not only that... Not only that, I'm totally scrapping, adapting the TV show. And instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to follow in the footsteps of 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 something like like when you go see like the My Hero Academia movie. And I'm going to make this like an event movie that is tied into the lore of the series. Yeah. So the series fans can watch the TV show and then go see the movie. It's going to have like the same voice cast. Yeah, exactly. Like the, it's like, it's like just, the Pokemon movies. Oh, that's smart. Exactly. It's like an animated film based on the Avatar universe. Oh, I love that. It's a it's sort of standalone story, but it will also function as a sequel to the series. Oh. So here is here is here's my pitch. The film opens one year after the events of the series. The four nations are at peace, and the festival of unity which is a celebration of peace between the nations is being held for the first time in over a hundred years and is being held by the fire nation as a gesture of goodwill towards the other nations. Uh So here's our opening. Here's our opening sequence. This is like our title sequence. And this is like, what just brings down the house because our opening sequence is this base is this like moving shot through this festival as we see you know people celebrating and playing games and one by one we are reintroduced to the cast of the show where they oh, each great. get little moments to shine oh yeah and Classic. so that, so that the audience can yeah can cheer for them yeah exactly yeah. so so the first 
the first thing we see is we see Sokka and Suki, his girlfriend, mm-hmm. and they're they're playing carnival games together. So and cute. Uh, it's like a it's like a marksmanship uh uh you know carnival game, one of those like shooting the ducks or something or hitting like cups. And Sokka just like dazzles the crowd by just like nailing every target, and everybody's like, Whoa, this guy's great. And then Suki shows up and just totally one ups him and just like, you know, does something even more spectacular. But instead of kind of getting like jealous, he's just kind of like, that's my girl. She's incredible. You know, showing some him how much he's kind of grown since Mm -hmm. since the show. (laughs) Yeah. And then we have we 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 pan over to there's like a a contest of strength where there's this like big macho bully who's like pushing everyone around and he's like I'm the strongest guy in here can nobody beat me and then here comes little Toph you <laughs> nice. know and 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 you know as soon as she comes on screen we're gonna have to like hold that frame for a bit while audiences are just like wow it's Toph. <laughs> And and Toph, you know, completely shows this macho bully up and he like runs crying. And uh, and then we have this uh, we have this like big meeting room where all the like leaders of the world are meeting. And we have uh, at the at one end of the table, we have Zuko who is meeting with all the world leaders as like a representative of the fire nation. I can't remember if he like becomes the new fire Lord at the end of the show. He does in Canon eventually become fire Lord. So for the sake of this, uh, uh, for the sake of this pitch, he is just, he's fire Lord. He's fire Lord. Okay. In this. okay. He's just a young fire Lord. He's taken over in his, in his father's place. So Zuko is conducting this meeting and he's negotiating with the different kingdoms and he's like being very measured and polite and and Iroh is there and he's like pouring tea for everybody and like Iroh's kind of nodding in appreciation of like, that's my boy. He's doing a great job keep keeping that temper of his in check. <laughs> and uh, finally, the very final place we go to is we see a, a like fantastical animal race. Mm. There's some sort of like, like pig dog or some sort of like chimera animal is being raced and uh, uh, we see Katara on one of them and then we see Aang on another one. We finally we finally introduce to Aang who they have this whole big race, you know, and while this race is going on, we're getting some, we're getting like the credits on screen and maybe there's like some sort of song playing as like part of a montage and uh, Katara ends up winning the race because Aang gets like distracted by some like birds or something and he just like, <laughs> he's more interested He's more interested in playing than he is in winning the race anyway. So this this wacky day at the festival is just like a bit of fan service and just like a lighthearted like reintroduction into this world where we're like, you know, we get to see some bending and we get to see some of the politics and we're just kind of like, hey, remember these guys? That's that's basically the first, you know, like 10 minutes of the movie or whatever. And then so at the end of the day. We have this. Uh, we have this big dinner where Team Avatar gathers together for a, a meal, and they reflect on on the state of the world and and talk about how there's peace now. And like for the first time, everything is just okay, and there's there's no conflict and nothing to worry about for the first time in you know these people's whole lives. Basically, things are just okay. Uh, you know, there's some issues between nations, sure, but it's nothing like major. And uh, afterwards. Aang is 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 meditating 
and he's uh, he goes inside of this place that we're going to visit a lot in this, which is sort of his his mental garden. He has like basically this yeah. like beautiful garden space in his own mind where he's able to commune mm. with all of the past avatars. Yeah. And this garden in the movie is going to be really beautifully animated. Like everything in this movie is going to be like 10 times the the lavish, just beautiful animation that it was on TV because we're dealing with just a much larger budget. So we have this just gorgeous, sprawling garden inside Aang's mind where he's communing with all of the past avatars and he's sort of seeing it in, in a, a greater clarity than he ever has because his mind is like at a greater peace than it's ever been. So he's seeing like parts of his own sort of mental landscape that he's never seen before. And one of those things is he sees this cave this cave that is it, it sticks out a lot in this like beautiful lush garden and it has this sort of dark aura to it and it almost seems to be like beckoning oh. to Aang and he's as he sort of goes to investigate it the other avatars kind of step in the way the like past avatars and they're like no 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 Aang you you don't that's 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 not anything to be interested in and they kind of they kind of distract him but he kind of like breaks away and he's like, no, I want to see kind of what's over there. And as he goes towards the cave, he's yeah. suddenly assaulted by these horrible visions of violence. And like they just like flash at him really quick. And he just wakes up from the men- uh, from the meditative state. And he's got this like nosebleed. Classic. Mm. And uh, uh, he consults with Katara the next day who tells him that he's probably, you know, because it's peacetime, he's probably able to see parts of the Avatar state mm. that he was never able to access before. And he's mm. seeing parts of what it means to be the Avatar that he's never seen before. So she advises him like, I think you should go back into your mind and just, you know, allow yourself to like take a breath and, and approach it again. This is clearly something that is like a part of of the Avatar existence. And it's something that you should know about, even if it's scary. And so Aang is like, all right, you're right. You know what? I should I should check it out. So the following night, he goes back into the Avatar state and he investigates again. And he he goes into the cave and uh he as he starts to like approach the cave again he sees what seems to be like a young boy sticking his head out of the cave and it's like it looks like it's an air nomad it's somebody from his tribe and as he starts to approach the boy runs into the cave and he's like hey wait and then the past avatars show up again and they're like we told you it's forbidden and you can't go in so we have this whole like fight sequence where ang is like having to like fight off the past avatars in order to get into this cave and uh, when he finally gets in he's uh, he sees more visions of like bloodshed and terror and just like fear but he kind of fights them off until he finds the young boy who's like cowering in the corner this like scared little boy and he's like hey hey it's okay w- what's your name and the boy stands up suddenly, like just like inhumanly almost stands up and then spins around and he has these glowing, uh, he has these glowing eyes of the avatar state and he puts his hand on Aang's throat. He grabs him by oh the throat. Oh my God. And in the real world, we see Aang who's like choking in the real world in this like meditative state uh. and his his eyes start to glow blue, but then that blue starts to get like darker and darker and sort of is overcome with this like inky blackness as Aang is now possessed. Oh Aang gets possessed Spider-Man by this like vibes. dark. 
He gets this dark avatar spirit that takes over his body. And <gasps> Aang is now like trapped within his own mind while this 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 dark Aang, uh, he, this dark Aang is now in control of his physical body, and it goes and it plunders the weapon storage of the Fire Nation capital, and just starts like gathering all these weapons. And these like Fire Nation guards come out, and they're like, "Hey, what? You, you can't be in there!" And then he, the dark Aang, uses airbending to just like suck the air out of their lungs oh and like suffocate them. God. And then Dark Aang goes down into uh the into like the prison of the like uh uh capital and he frees all these prisoners including Azula no. who is locked up at the end of the series <laughs> no. and he like frees all these prisoners he's like you guys work for me now and the prisoners who are all like disenfranchised they're like hey anything's better than this so the next morning, Zuko, uh, Sokka, Toph, and Suki find that Aang is missing and they hear the guards have been killed and they're like, there's no way that was Aang. Like, there's no way. Aang can't be responsible. And the other guards are like, we saw him. We saw him. He, he killed some of the guards and he ran off. And they're like, something's going on. We need to get to the bottom of this. So they set out mm-hmm. on this quest to track him down. Well, meanwhile, Dark Aang has like escaped with his gang of convicts and they've like taken over this bandit hideout. So they have this like fortress now and and Dark Aang reveals to his gang that he's like his ultimate goal is he's going to assassinate all four heads of the nations <gasps> since they're all oh, gathered geez. together at the Fire Nation Christ. capital. He's going to take out all four nation heads so that he can send the world into chaos. And the disenfranchised prisoners, they just throw their full support behind Dark Aang because they're like, you know, we've been forgotten by society, so we're putting our our hopes in with you. And Azula, Azula becomes like his like right-hand woman and almost like his like consort because like Azula, she's into Dark Aang. He's this like vicious like murderer and she's like, I like this. (laughs) So there's like a bit of tension there. Oh my mind. Meanwhile, Aang in his in his mind space is like trapped in this dark cave and he's assaulted by more visions but using like meditation and focus, he's able to parse through it clearly and he learns the backstory of this spirit. And the young boy who stole his body was in fact an avatar from hundreds of years previously. Oh. One who used his avatar powers for conquest instead oh, of for good. Oh, wow. He, he attempted to overthrow the four nations until he was finally killed and the Avatar's spirits collectively decided to seal his spirit away so that no future Avatar could learn of his existence. He's like, a, he's like the thing they want forgotten. Well, he didn't but, do a very good job of that. But Aang accidentally broke the seal, keeping his spirit in place. So our climax comes when the Aang gang... <laughs> they reach the, the 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 good Aang gang. They reach the cli- They reach the bandit hideout, and we have this big final fight where the good Aang gang, which is led by Zuko, is, fights against the dark Aang gang, which Dark Aang is is leading. And uh, um, uh, Aang, meanwhile, is able to escape the like mind cave that he was sealed in, and he battles dar- the dark avatar in the mind realm simultaneously while Zuko is battling Dark Aang in the physical realm. So we have our final fight kind of happening across these two planes at the same time. And you could have opportunity. I'm already seeing, I can see exactly how this could go. This is so cool. I love this idea. You could also have opportunity for like 
Aang and Dark Aang to be sort of like fighting for control of the body. Exactly. So yes. Cool. And so as like Aang starts to get as every like blow that Aang lands, Dark Aang like loses control and then like Zuko's able to get the upper hand. Yeah. yeah. And uh so during this battle, Aang learns that the uh, he learns the truth about the dark avatar and why he tried to use his powers for conquest. And the reason is, is because he was an air nomad, just like Ang, and he was given a vision of the future. And he saw the air nomads being genocided by the <gasps> fire nation oh. in a hundred years time. So he tried to overthrow the the systems of power in order to prevent that from ever happening. Exactly. But like, obviously no one believed him. It was like a Cassandra situation where he was like, we have to do something. The Fire Nation's going to kill everybody. And everybody was like, what are you talking about? So he just tried to take that things into his own hands. That is how pretty much every adult in that fucking series sounds too. They're like, <laughs> I'm a squeaky wheel character voice actor. <laughs> So so now that Aang understands this dark avatar spirit, he is able to subdue him, not with violence, but with compassion <gasps> and forgiveness. Which is Aang is. And Aang gets exactly. to stay true to himself. And ultimately, exactly. our tale becomes and, not, not necessarily one of retribution, but one of acceptance of the way of things. Ding, ding, ding. So we're 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 learning to forgive mm. and to change for the better. So the dark spirit relents when Aang sort of has this moment with him of like forgiveness and he returns Aang's body. And meanwhile, Zuko kind of being inspired by all of this, he learns about the prisoners' backstories and these these prisoners <laughs> that he's that he's uh sort of uh brought together for his gang. Mm -hmm. Uh he learns that they were like horribly mistreated in prison and that they were disenfranchised by society beforehand so he gives them all a full pardon and he vows to reform the prison system in the fire nation wow. to be one about rehabilitation and forgiveness rather than one about punishment and just like locking people away wow so zuko is kind of learning the same lessons that the avatar spirits within ang are learning and at the end of the movie we have the kind of reconstruction of the nations going on with these like newly reformed prisoners helping out with the reconstruction. And we have inside the avatar state, we have this, this scared little boy finally being welcomed by the other avatar spirits. And he's able to kind of like sit in the tea garden Aww. with Aang in his mind. So everybody <clears throat> kind of comes together and like forgives each other. And like the world is a better place. Wow. And that is my Avatar movie. What's it called? I didn't actually come up with a name for it. Um, I guess, you know, it would probably have to have a title, something like, uh, you know, like The Rise of the Dark Avatar or something the like Avatar, that. Avatar, maybe Avatar. Something like... This is Gary from Fan Service and Titles. I'm just going to throw some... I, I have Blanche here. She's next to me, and she's going to throw some ideas out there. Let's play some ball with some ideas. Cause hey, it, I'm it's, Blanche. Such a good pitch deserves a just as suitable title. I, I think it should be something that has to do with the idea of reincarnation, like... Maybe something like Battle in the Spirit Realm, or like... Yeah, so uh, like yeah. Avatar Lost Souls, or... Avatar wow. ve Venture Within. Oh, forgotten, Avatar... Forgotten Spirits, maybe, <laughs> something like that. Hear me out. What about Avatar the Secret Garden? Avatar, oh, you, you <laughs> card, Blanche. 
Um, secret card. How about secret window? How about secret, avatar, avatar, secret, secret, secret window, secret, secret cave, window. scared little boy. How about boy, secret tunnel? Gundam 5, X Xenoblade, <laughs> Devil's Hand. Uh, mo- mobile suit Zeta Avatar. Yes, I love X5, it. Um, the third. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, seriously though, I think this is brilliant. Yeah, I, honestly, I can see exactly how it would play out. I think it is the perfect extension of what we already know to be true about many of these characters, and I think it's a great reinvention of the format to have essentially like Avatar's uh, Ang's team, Sans Ang, have to do what they know how to do, but without their leader. Essentially, I think that's brilliant, mm-hmm. and you have an opportunity. By reinventing that to bring in a new character, which is often what happens in sequels like this, you could bring That's in true. someone totally new. Give us a Kovu is, or something. Yeah, someone who's going to offer a new skill or a new perspective that might help the team when they are doing what they know how to do, but without Aang. What if there's a guy? All right. Uh, this is this is Dan from Extraneous Characters. <laughs> uh, I have an extraneous character I've been working on. My least up. favorite department. <laughs> <laughs> we tend to, to drag on episodes, but we do have a good time amongst ourselves. Uh, so there's a character. I think we uh, we should bruise Sokka's ego a little bit more. Maybe there's a man from a fishing village, something adjacent to water. He's very dexterous with his weapon of choice. Maybe he uses a bow staff, let's say, and he's very fast with it, very dexterous with it. And he claims that to have no abilities, right? And he's just naturally a martial martial artist. He fights amazingly. He outdoes Sokka at every turn. Sokka now has to take into account his new lady love, and he can't be shown up in front of her besides her at the festival and, and pretty much every turn. But um, <laughs> this new character, he's very dexterous, he's incredible. And at the very end, we reveal that he is, in fact, an airbender, and he's been manipulating his staff using uh, a supernatural powers. Okay, I did think about well, that. I also thought about the idea of bringing in another airbender, but don't you think that cheapens a little bit the idea that uh, uh, every airbender... Oh, I guess airbender... he has to be the last airbender, isn't that right? I think yeah. it is the literal title of the show. Oh, shit, that now no Gary's giving me the finger from Fancer. Oh, Jesus, so they're getting I their, think... their shurikens I together. They're starting too, to though. throw them at me. I, I gotta get out of here. Idea. I had that same idea at first. I mean, I think that I think that we have sort of that new character being fulfilled by the, the the dark avatar character. I think that if we we could throw in like a kind of superfluous, like, you know, maybe he's like the captain of the guard and he helps them fight or whatever. I just don't think that because the cast is already so large, I feel like they're going to get lost in the shuffle but I a little think bit, like, you know. I don't know about that, though, because I think if we're following two two sort of separate storylines, once we get into the meat right. of the story, right, which is like Aang's team and then. Dark Aang and Co. Aang's team, as far as we know, would just be Katara, Sokka, and Toph, right? And the animals. No, it would be it would be Katara, Sokka, Toph, Zuko, oh, and because uh, Zuko, because Zuko is kind of you know part of his story here is yeah. going to be learning about what it means to be a leader. So he's going to be sort of taking over that's Team true. Aang, and he's going to be kind of leading the charge. And also, there. if you want Sokka's girlfriend to join, that's fine. Yeah, maybe Suki, Sokka's Suki girlfriend should be there too. Suki, I I just like don't think of Suki as important in my head, but maybe this is an opportunity to develop Suki further into a character that does hold an important space. And well, also, she, is, she has like a role to play. I, I mean, her. Know. And her like tribe of of mask wearing uh, she's the people yeah she's one of the like fan women right like yeah that is cool no maybe it's just that i wanted someone new but 
There also is opportunity to bring in someone new and interesting on the dark Aang side. Like, yeah, with, I mean, all the prisoners could yeah. be like, you know, interesting really fun characters kind of that you can foil. Yeah, I want to like, collect. Yeah. I want to collect these prisoners at the McDonald's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I want is, action figures. Lastly, this is Trevor from uh, Practicalities Practicum, and uh, this message of reforming the prison system, maybe defunding the police. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> do you feel like? Do you feel like this is? Uh, the right time to send that message. I think it is personally. Do you think that the market at large, you're going to get pushback or are you going to be carried on their shoulders? Mm, they're going to, they're going to take it and like it. Cause I won't uh, bend on my integrity with this story. I, my <laughs> pitches have to have socialist messages in them. They have to be about something and I refuse to change. There's two things um, you get in this show. Uh, <laughs> you got the socialist message and I, I really, and the second piece is, can can we bring in, can we recast Suki voiced by Kate Mara in this in this version? <laughs> uh, well, this movie is going to cost a lot. This is already going to cost uh, a, at least a Force Awakens um, because the animation is going to be so lavish. Um, the age so if we can standard. afford her. Well, I mean, I, w- I really want to be true to the TV series. I really want to keep all the cast of the TV series so that when the audiences go to see it, it's like, there's all my friends. Yes. It's yes. all the people I remember. Like, I saw the my the second My Hero Academia, or I've, I saw both My Hero Academia movies in theaters, but the first one was such an event and the crowd went wild. Every time another member of that class showed up, everyone yeah. in the audience lost their goddamn minds. Right. And that that's the kind of energy I want to bring to this movie. I think this and is then, brilliant. I think you should actually idea. pitch this to Honestly, someone. Honestly, yeah. It's I one, think this could totally be made. It's one of those, there's some pitches that come across this show that I'm like, we are going to get ripped off. And this is definitely one of them. I think Netflix is running around with like a chicken without its head, with its head cut off. I don't know if they've shot principal photography yet for this live action. This is probably in their best interest. It is a business model that HBO has just capitalized on, I believe, with uh, Adventure Adventure Time. You guys should um, add the creators the Adventure Time movie. to this episode. You should add the creators of, of the original series and see if they would listen to it. Because I think this is legitimately a great idea, Matt. I think it's Thank such you. a good idea. I mean, I, you know, I haven't seen an episode of the show in 10 years, so I feel you should proud of myself it. It for <laughs> fleshing it out. No, I, I, you know what? I've, I've had the thought of rewatching it many times because I have, a, I have a lot of love for the series. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've uh, seen a character in a show and been like, oh, I hope he turns out to be a Zuko. Because <laughs> yeah. I just got a lot of love yeah. for that Zuko. And I want to see all, all mean characters follow the path of Zuko and, and, <laughs> I mean, that moment when he like turns away from his dad at the end of the show and he's like, I'm not going to fight you because I've had growth as a character. I love that. Um, he's just a good boy. <laughs> so uh, he's also, I think, the only... No, him and Katara are the only living members in in um, uh, uh, Korra. They're the only like still alive characters. Oh, interesting. I haven't oh, watched Korra. I have one, one last idea. So we, we're bringing back the whole cast. We're trying to recreate the experience of the show. I think it should still open with uh, a Katara monologue but it should be like earth water fire the 
four nations lived in harmony and then no second part because then then we start the story <laughs> they they continue to live in harmony Which i probably do would do some kind of like throwback day. to the to the uh, to the cuz i love that like silhouettes of the bending um you know do something like that but maybe i would update the silhouettes for the movie to be the sort of like four avatars of those elements in the show so like air would be ang and and fire would be zuko and and earth would be toph and and water would be guitar oh, nice. that would be the change That's to the cool. intro yeah i like that idea um so what what am i am i getting some green lights here I oh like yeah one of the brightest here. green the green light from from greg gatsby is what you're getting <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah um well thank you i hope things turn out a little bit better for me than they do for most of the characters in that novel <laughs> Um, Chris, green light. Yes, we are ceaselessly born back. We're boats against the current, but forced to pitch until <laughs> doomsday. Green oh, light. I love it so much. Well, thank you so much. I, I I feel really good about this pitch. I had this. I think I've been sitting on this idea for like a month. When uh, whenever it was that Chris first uh, came with me <laughs> to first this idea, tried to schedule my this. first. <laughs> my first thought was like, all right, mind battle and physical battle at the same time. How do I make it happen? I love that. Um, so cool. So, uh, so what are the kind of commonalities here? I think the common, the biggest commonality is that, uh, fuck the M. Night Shyamalan movie. Um, we're all in agreement there. Um, you know, there's, I think there's a kind of core to the series that we're, we're invested in, in keeping alive and keeping alive that sort of sense of fun while also keeping that like danger and the high stakes that the show has, um, and the grandiosity keep. Yeah, and and you know, with the exception of Chris, we have a lot of reverence for the series. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this Chris, is all just revenge. Chris is this is just Indiana Jones revenge. To be fair, like he said, Chris was he mar- was not introduced to it until literally me, like two years ago. I'm married into the series. Yeah. Oh, this just in. Chris was murdered by Gary and the other fanboys out in the parking lot with their uh, souvenir shurikens. So he is now dead. They have they have kunai knives that they they hurled at you. Yeah. Um, and Chris unfortunately did not turn into a log when he got struck with one. Unfortunately. Um, so, uh, I, I think that we're all very much on the same page with just like wanting to keep that, 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 that beautiful spirit that was so robbed of the TV show in, in the original film, you know, that, that sense of wonder and fun and, and spectacle, uh, all things that are thoroughly absent in the original. So I want to end off here with uh, Kierna. It is your duty now to gift us with an item to place in our adaptation lounge. Something something that speaks to the spirit of Avatar. What item are you going to place in the adaptation lounge? Ooh, okay. So I am going to gift you guys. And this is something that's been handmade by me lovingly out of paper oh, mache. Wow. And it's not up to fire code, so be careful. Nothing but in the nothing in the lounges. It's not up to fire code. Okay, no, okay. for sure. They're okay. always sending us emails. I just throw them right in the garbage. Okay. <laughs> so this is a full-size floor lamp. It is a lamp, mm, but okay. it is like a um a symbolic ritualistic representation of all four of the elements. So the lamp shade part is fire. It like looks like flames. And when you turn it on, Love it's like it. glowing. But again, it is not up to fire code. So you can only keep it on for like 30 minutes before you'll start to smell an acrid smell, at which point you want to turn it off because that means it's melting. <laughs> at which point um, you want to start huffing as fast as you can. <laughs> um, 
And then below it, uh, there are like tiers of like, this is not not tears like T-E-A-R, but tears like T-E-I-R of like mm-hmm. water and then and then um and then what are the other elements? And then air <laughs> and then earth would be the bottom, I think, because you could have it sort of like, you know, growing into the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And it would just be very, I think it would have like a very 70s, like over the top, like very like it looks almost like a set piece. Um, but it's sort of supposed to be living in the same tonal knife's edge of sort of humorous and lighthearted and tongue-in-cheek but also like very epic this lamp well i i want this for my real lounge (laughs) in addition to our adaptation lounge which is not something i would say about any of the other items well maybe the millennium puzzle maybe but uh But uh, thank you so much for that, Kierna. So and Kierna, um, I, we, you know, we got to shout out your incredible, uh, you know, clothing that you make. Oh, we talk about that. Thanks. Yeah, I have a little. Uh, I have a clothing business with my best friend here. Um, it's called Rorschach Romance. We are essentially like uh, gender non-binary. Um, sustainable ethical clothing company um it's like what we call in the fashion business slow fashion meaning like each of our garments or our accessories are handmade and they take a long time to make because they're made by us and uh that slow fashion is something that is so much better for the environment because it means less waste and it means that the clothing is going to last longer so instead of buying like a shitty four dollar crop top from forever 21 that you're going to wear three times and throw away, like instead invest in something that's handmade and yeah, it's going to cost you more, but also it's made out of recycled materials made ethically by people who are being paid enough money, primarily me in my living room, but being paid enough (laughs) money to like support themselves and their loved ones while making the thing. It's not like made by, you know, children locked in a factory somewhere, um, which is really not funny, but, uh, is the way I oh no one's laughing the way I accidentally pitched it um but uh yeah it's really important to me and it's been like a great creative self expression space but also um it's been really like a cool growth experience for me to sort of like engage with fashion in a little bit more of like a political way um because of all those messages we have about like sustainable ethical production and um not discriminating uh between like clothing belonging or or any particular style belonging to any particular gender like i think like fashions for everyone and you can wear whatever the fuck you want so um that's that's what we do and you can check us out on instagram rorschach romance good luck spelling rorschach <laughs> yeah, like much like the character from the uh, horrible watchman film yep exactly um <laughs> the wonderful fascist um so that's it for this week's episode of The Adaptation Game. I am your host, Mr. Matthew Schott, and with me as always, my intrepid co-host... Hong Kong, Chris Okawa. <laughs> he turned into a goose right at the end of the show. Um, so thanks for <laughs> listening. We'll see you next time, and goodbye! Bye!